Good afternoon and welcome to Auto Retail Live in partnership with Mazepoint. Make or break, it's an overused phrase perhaps, but it certainly applies to this September if you're involved in car retailing in the UK. It's a great year, it's a tough year, depends who you talk to. And we've got a lively panel this afternoon as over the next 30 minutes we explore uh, the challenges of the market in September, which we're now halfway through, and planning into the back end of 2020. Who would have known this is how the year was going to pan out? So without more ado, a quick trot and introduction to our panelists. We have Dash Gupta, as uh, the Chief Executive at Marshalls. Uh, welcome back to John O'Hanlon from Waylands, Ian Plummer from Auto Trader with a view of the market, and Tracy Ellum from Maze Point, looking at the numbers and making sure we're taking advantage of the opportunities. So halfway through September, Dash, I'm going to come to you first. What's the view? from the chief executive seat. Well, uh, good to see you again. Uh, you always pick on me first as well. This is just like a sort of discrimination thing or something. I'm, I'm getting used to this. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, much. I'm used to it after all the years. I'm used to it after all the years. Uh, so how's September going? So I think um, yeah, we're very encouraged with what we're seeing. Um, as we sort of said in our um, 28, sorry, as we said on the 18th of August in our interim results, uh, the strong trends that we saw in June and July have carried through into August and certainly what we've seen in terms of uh, September has been very pleasing. I think when you look at the detail behind that, it is very segmental. Uh, so you are seeing uh, some quite interesting trends develop. So you're seeing, um, you know, the sort of trend that we've seen over many years that premium brands continue to get stronger. That trend is continuing. Uh, you're seeing some pressure coming in with some of the volume brands, and then you've got sort of some brands in the middle, sort of Volvo doing particularly well, Volkswagen doing very well. Uh, and then you've got a couple of brands in particular that were impacted by WLTP. I think it's quite well known uh, that Volkswagen Group was impacted in particular quite severely. So uh, the Volkswagen Group in particular, Volkswagen and Audi, are doing very, very well uh, this uh, this month as well. So that's quite uh, a sort of big picture of what we're seeing. Uh, I think used cars continues to go very strongly. We're, we're enjoying good growth there. Uh, margins, as has been well documented, is uh, very strong. So, you know, you were seeing that uh, used cars went up 6.1% in August. That built on what we saw in July. So that's having a, a good tailwind. And plus, you've got uh, all the benefits of sort of the pent-up demand from the sort of lockdown period. You've got all these customers who, you know, had extensions on their finance agreements that have got to renew. Uh, you've got uh, consumers who are revenge buying, which seems to be a word that people have latched onto. Mm -hmm. Um, so, quite frankly, everything that you would hope to go well right now is going well, and everything is in our favour. But I do accept uh, that there are pockets of the market uh, within certain brands that are having a challenge, and I do accept it might be a little bit regional as well. But certainly from a Marshall perspective, we're really encouraged with what we're seeing. Well, a great and positive start. By the way, uh, this is a webinar that you're welcome to participate. Please do feel free uh, to send your questions, type in your questions. It comes through here to Tristan, uh, and we will share those comments and questions with the panel. So from a multi-brand uh, experience, Dash, we're going to say hello to John O'Hanlon from Waylands. John, obviously, Volvo businesses, you have four of them. How have you seen September, and how's the rest of the year looking? Um, it's, it's it's been absolutely fascinating, um, you know. And why do I always have to follow Dashi's questions? Um, <laughs> it's been, it's, it has been um, absolutely fascinating. When we went into lockdown um, at the end of March, some of the the, the forecasts that we ran were horrific, um, and to see it come back since we reopened, you know, it's been incredibly strong. 
um, and that has continued consistently, um, especially picking up on some of the points that uh, Dash was raising on the used used inquiries for us uh, being between 50 and 70 percent up. What we've seen in September is a strong increase on our inquiries on new as well. So we've got both new and used at the moment showing real strength. And I understand that I only talk from a, a Volvo perspective. You know, we've got a great brand lineup. We work in some great areas in the Thames Valley, but it is incredibly strong. Um, conversion has remained strong. You know, we've been pushing towards 40 percent. Um, despite having a, a, our most robust inquiry process. Um, we had a, um, a VIP event last week, and we smashed the previous record week by 18%. Um, three out of four sites um, enjoyed their best week ever. So it feels like we're in um, a short, you know, it feels incredibly good. Well, look, it's always great to have John and Dash, um, the, the, the double act. But in all seriousness, they are positive, uh, upbeat and running successful businesses. But is that the state of the market across the board? Um, Ian Plummer, Commercial Director of Auto Trader, you're seeing the picture across the UK. Uh, do inquiry levels support what, what John and Dash are seeing in their businesses? Um, well, yes, and thank you for putting me on after the, the, the double act of first uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'm very delighted to say that after, I think, a, a heck of a lot of fantastic and hard work by, by retailers through those tough times of lockdown, getting ready and so on, and doing all the right things, that the demand level we're seeing on Autotrader is still uh, sustainably, sustainably very strong at the moment. So we've seen record numbers of uh, audience uh, and visits, leads, etc., over pre previous weeks, and it's continuing to, uh, to remain the case. So there's a, there's a very high level of... Uh, of confidence we can see in the market generally, both across new and used cars. In August, we saw 67 million visits to our platform. Just to give you an idea, that's 30% up year on year. Um, and, and like I said, in terms of sustainability, the key question most people have on their, their lips is, it's great, but is it just pent up demand or will it last? And um, if I measure out the, the first six weeks post lockdown, um, in terms of average daily unique uh, visit visitors, uh, we saw around 23% increase during that period. In the last six weeks, we've been seeing 27% additional um, visits, uh, sorry, visitors compared to the prior year. So that would give you the impression quite clearly that things aren't slowing. Um, there might be some tapering off here or there, but generally speaking, demand is staying very strong, both across new and used cars. And clearly, as John and Dash have highlighted, some retailers, some brands are having a better time than others, but the general demand levels look strong for positive reasons around uh, overall consumer appetite for car driving and car owning, which only seems to be growing at the moment. You're watching Auto Retail Live in partnership with Mays Point. Um, your questions are more than welcome, either direct via the webinar, or you can use the hashtag ARNLive if you're joining the conversation um, via Twitter. Uh, Dash, I'm not going to be the voice of doom, but listening to the first five or six minutes of this webinar, um, make or break September, it sounds like we're in the most wonderful period. Um, is it really like that or is it down to hard work and, and where are some of the challenges we're going to have to address? I think uh, I think realistically you know you've got to look at um, some of the data that's out there so you know July uh, you would have seen the I'm sure the ASC um, sort of uh, data that Mike Jones puts out in terms of average retailer profit so the average retailer made £50,000 in July. Uh, I think uh, Mike had sort of alluded to uh, some retailers even made profit in August. 
uh, which, um, you know, I've been in this 28 years. I was talking to some colleagues the other day. I don't think I'm aware of uh, a time where retailers have made profit in a month prior to a play change. That's certainly quite unique. So uh, whoever's done that, good luck to them. They've done really well. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we have got all of these sort of tailwinds that are in our favor right now in terms of used car values, in terms of pent-up demand, renewals. Everything's in our favor right now. Lower cost base because some companies haven't got all of their people back off furlough. Um, so that's driving profitability. Um, I guess what everyone's concern is, is what's going to happen at the end of October with the furlough scheme ends. Uh, are we going to see, um, you know, a, a cooling of the market because you're going to see, you know, higher unemployment? So I think uh, this morning the, the employment figures were released. Uh, I think that was 4.1%. Um, and there's 695,000 people uh, who are now not on payroll that were there pre-COVID. That's obviously very sad for those individuals. Uh, and clearly the impact of COVID-19 is going to have a, a negative impact on our uh, on our economy, I'm sure, for the longer term. But I guess, you know, if I took one little sort of positive, though, from that data when I was reading it this morning is actually, and this is quite sad, but uh, the people who have seen uh, the biggest impact of job losses has been 16 to 24-year-olds. But of course, when you look at the people who are buying cars in the franchise sector, they're generally you know, not in that category. Uh, they're generally people who are buying at the independent sector. So I, I, from a franchise perspective, I guess we're quite fortunate because, you know, we generally don't have 16 to 24-year-olds buy, uh, buy cars from us. Of course we do, but uh, it's not going to impact our business as much as uh, I think it may well in the independent sector. So I guess we're all worried as to what could be coming down the track. Um, you know, we've got obviously Brexit seems to have raised its uh, head quite mm -hmm. considerably in the last couple of weeks or so. So there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, and I guess a lot of companies have taken a quite negative approach going into quarter three. And a lot of companies took the decision to make job losses and redundancies. And I, I can understand why they've done that, because when you look at the outlook, it does look potentially gloomy. Um, but the reality is, you know, I was, I was watching Rishi Sunak was interviewed a couple of weeks ago uh, on the uh, Walden program on Sunday. And he was asked a question, what do you think will happen at the end of the furlough scheme? You know, lots of people are predicting it's going to be, you know, severe deep depression in the UK economy. And his response was, he doesn't have a crystal ball. And, and it really struck me, if the Chancellor of the Exchequer, with all of the resources available to him, doesn't know what's going to happen to the UK economy, well, what chance have any of us on this panel got of knowing what's going to happen? You know, you, you could make a case for saying, um, you know, they're going to do stimulus. They haven't done stimulus for the sector so far. Maybe they wanted to hold back because they expected pent-up demand to drive quarter three. And maybe the government will do something in uh, in quarter four, maybe Q1 next year, we don't know. Maybe we will see a Brexit deal. Maybe we will get a free trade deal, which will be fantastic news for the economy. We've seen the, the Japanese deal was announced uh, recently in the last few days. So nobody knows what's going to happen. I don't think if any of us, John, John made reference to his uh, planning assumptions uh, going uh, into lockdown, and it looked pretty catastrophic, as, 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 as ours did as well. Did any of us expect it to be as crazy as this? I don't know. No. I don't think any of us would predict it. So... Um, you know, maybe I'm a naturally positive person now, I don't know, but uh, I guess from a personal perspective, you know, we watch, we monitor, we see what's going on, you know, we look at the data on a day-by-day -day basis, see what's happening in terms of inquiry levels, what's happening in terms of demand, conversion levels. You know, the one thing I would say is if you do the basics brilliantly well and on top of your business, then you'll get through it. Dash, thank you. Uh, let me turn to Tracy, actually, because at the end there, Dash, you just referenced data and keeping an eye on what's going on in the business. Um, I mean, the tailwinds are there, uh, Tracy, uh, and certainly from a from a business perspective, um, 
I guess not everybody is flying, but people are flying. What, what's your advice for managing a business through Insight at this particular moment? Hi, Al. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, whether you're having a, a good time or, or you're struggling at the moment, it's great to hear about the positivity around the industry. And that, you know, that's really fantastic. We are a pretty resilient bunch, I think. Um, we've been through tough times before. This is fairly unprecedented. But I think the key, like Dash just said, is about data and making sure that you've got the data available to you in real time as well. So making sure that it's up to date. So it's not heavily manual not lots of number crunching it takes you know takes a while to get that data to you i think it's about seeing the data like that should go right back to basics to make sure that every cog in the machine is actually working as it should do to optimal performance so that you're capturing every opportunity as and when you can and if things aren't going right making sure that you've got the information in the picture so that you can do something about it it's having that agility piece but also making sure that everybody's on the same page so everybody within the organization understands how they're doing, what they're aiming for, you know, what the gap is, what the shortfall is, and what the opportunities are. You know, the, the, the other side of a shortfall is clearly any opportunity. So being able to see those things and spot them and do something about them and reallocate resource or put in a new incentive or initiative. Um, but having that picture so that everybody's singing off the same hymn sheet is absolutely critical. Um, just making sure that any data that you do distribute around the business is credible and it's reliable so you know it's accurate and you, you, you know you're making decisions based on the right information and that it's actually really easy to understand so um, you know people can actually they know what they need to know just by looking at it they haven't got to go off to lots of different places I think in reality in lots of retail businesses we don't really have that single view of performance so there's lots and lots of moving pieces all of the time and with COVID having hit Managers out there now on the cold face, they're having to deal with an awful lot more distraction than we had to before and enabling them to have information at their fingertips that's easy to understand, easy to spot opportunities and where their focus needs to be is absolutely critical. Thanks, Tracy. You're watching Auto Retail Live. Uh, the focus here is retail and practical um, opportunities and ways to move forward. We're, we're in a bit of a, a golden time with, with, with things that have aligned together. John, some, some practical questions which we've, we've had in. Mm -hmm. One of them, actually, um, you referenced a successful VIP event uh, that you had recently. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions came in, how do you run a VIP event um, under social distancing rules? Um, I think what you've got to make sure is you limit the amount of appointments or the number of visitors per every 90 minutes so we have um we have 90 minute appointments but we don't go beyond that so what we were faced with um was the fantastic challenge of having too much demand having too many um too many customers wanting to come in so in effect we sat a little bit earlier and we ran it for an extra day um and just made sure that the customers understood that if you were visiting the showroom um it was it was a buying event um so if you wanted to take a little bit longer that's absolutely fine you should be coming back at a different time so i think it's about organization and qualifying all your customers so it's not just put up a few banners and, and ring the bell um it's about a lot of hard work preparation um organization and, and planning and then executing it well so um i was out in the dealerships over the weekend and you know, I posted a picture up on LinkedIn. It was all, you know, it was midday. We, you know, during our Reading's busiest day, and it was all under control. Drove to Newbury, and it was all under control. So, um, I don't think it's about having lots and lots of, you know, unqualified potential customers in. It's about having the right people in for the event that will be attracted to the offers, attracted to the product, 
that you've got in the market today. Thanks, John. Question, stay with you for a second, John, actually, from uh, Philip Wiley. Philip, thank you for your uh, question. Um, who says, in these unusual times, how much emphasis are you placing um, on increasing service income opportunities and, and profitability? And obviously, with that in mind, mm -hmm. which services and products do you think offer the greatest potential at the moment? I mean, for, I mean, for us, um, round about our after sales, you know, the one negative I would look to is, you know, a lack of accident repair, a lack of damage, a lack of part sales. So we've had to we've had to make that up as a as an income stream, and that's came from you know working even harder, being even more consistent round about some of our visual health check systems. So those are customers who are in your workshops, customers who will need the work done in the car, um, either um, by you or by someone else, either now or in the future. So it's just making sure that you're qualifying those customers, letting them know where the issues are, um, you know, and we've had some really positive feedback from our customers. So we're not doing many more, but what we're seeing is a higher level of customers demanding to, you know, um, more more parts, more hours, just via um, signing off the, the electronic visual health check, the videos that we're that we're sending through to them. So and that would be that would be the one I would look to. Those are customers who are in your workshops today. Make sure you're getting as close to 100% videos for every retail customer that's coming in the, in, into your workshop and into your business. So it comes back to the basics. I guess that was one of the, the points actually, Rob um, Zabovic. Uh, Rob, thank you for your question. Uh, perhaps Ian actually might be interesting um, to you. Who, Rob was asking were the basics being overlooked pre-COVID? Um, and I, I put that in the frame of the conversation this afternoon has taken a turn for people being uh, the market flying, does that make people complacent, Ian? Well, I think there's, there's definitely a risk of that. There's probably two parts to your question, what was happening before and what's likely to happen after. So if I start with the before, I think it's undoubtedly the case that there's been a, a digital acceleration um, from a consumer's perspective in, uh, in the course of the lockdown period. Um, from a car buying experience point of view, clearly what that means is if I couldn't visit a showroom I wanted to go online. Uh, therefore, one of the basics that maybe was being missed by some people in prior times was actually sharing, um, you know, stock in in a, in a great, um, well merchandised fashion. Um, you know, making it really eminently easy for a consumer to find available cars, new and used, uh, that are at transparent, uh, fair prices and so on, available right now from a reseller near you. Sounds like an advert, but essentially that's what it should be. It, the cars are there to be advertised. And making sure that they are advertised is probably the, the 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 trick that was perhaps being missed in some cases more than others. Probably more so in new cars, where we're used to a slightly different model than uh, than on used. We haven't had the same openness um, in new to use, the same transparency of pricing. Many manufacturers have engaged in a different way in that kind of journey towards transparency. So that trick is now definitely not being so uh, readily missed. And the digital engagement that consumers are, are wanting now from the retailer. Uh, and brand alike are definitely sort of being brought to the fore in what brands and retailers are now delivering. But going forward, I do think there's a risk, of course, of, uh, of slight complacency because things are good now in September and then potentially thinking, well, I don't need to do those extra things, merchandise my, my cars, go really building my digital forecourt, my digital showroom and, and uh, make it easy for consumers to buy from me. Um, and they're falling back into some, maybe some of those old traps. But if we look at the data and keep focusing on the data, everything points to, to as I said earlier, to a 
continuing level of strong strong demand from consumers. So building a plan to actually reap the benefits from that rather than assuming that it will necessarily turn down would be a, a real a sort of a note of caution I'd, I'd urge people to, to bear in mind. Now, just keep using the data, as Tracy said, if it does start turning down, adjust, but don't expect it to, and don't, you know, certainly none of us are hoping it will do. So an, yeah. an example I would just give in terms of the consumer approach to that um, would be, I, I recall a debate um, in social media um, at one point during lockdown when rules were loosened around letting consumers drive their test drive car on their own. Um, and there were, there were some people suggesting that maybe we should revert back to normal when uh, the rules reverted back to normal. Um, and uh, I think that the consumer expectation is great. This is fantastic. Why would I necessarily want to drive with a, with a sales executive next to me? If I do, then I can ask for that. But actually allowing the consumer to do what they've now been accustomed to, it's good for them. It's good for the retailers. Save the time of doing that. It's the same with many areas of things like accelerating handovers and doing them in 10 minutes, having done all the the boring paperwork and admin in advance and having a celebratory hand, handover, that's a benefit for the consumer and a benefit for the retailer. So don't, don't let's go back to the old method just because we were comfortable with how it was before. We've made it better. Let's stick with that. Good point. Pro progression from Ian. Dash, I, I'd like to put a question to you, perhaps with, um, you've run businesses of all size, obviously running a, a huge business these days, but it's an interesting question from John Wright. Um, from Wright's Mazda, who asks about the panel's view of the viability of a small, well-funded family business uh, within the current situation in the economy. Um, is that viable in the, in the short and the long term? And I know you'll be able to take your, your corporate hat off, Dash, and perhaps, and perhaps take a view from the, from the family business. I think, um, I think we are going to go through significant change in this sector. Uh, about three years ago, I started presenting to investors in the city uh, sort of uh, our view of what we thought would happen by 2025. So it was an eight-year sort of vision. Uh, and what was driving this was essentially the sentiment uh, and legislation towards climate change and the OEM's challenges to hit strict uh, emissions targets. Uh, when you look at what the OEMs have got to hit in terms of the targets, you know many of them will have probably got there in 2020 because it was the first year of CAFE coming in. Uh, 2025 is the challenge. And what I predicted three years ago would happen by 2025 because the this, this step down in the uh, CO2 emission targets is you're going to see further rationalization, you're going to see further consolidation, you're going to see some manufacturers leave markets. And let's just have a look what's happened in recent years. PSA acquiring Opel Vauxhall, uh, they're now merging with FCA, seeing another announcement uh, last night on, uh, on that transaction. Uh, you've seen Volkswagen and Ford working together. Um, you know, Mercedes and BMW have been doing work together, um, you know, the alliance. So you've got some networks that are rationalizing. Um, and the main reason for this is because manufacturers are going to have to invest tens and tens of billions. I mean, if you look at Volkswagen Group, um, you know, Volkswagen Group are investing over a hundred billion, a hundred billion to be able to sustain their business in the long term. Uh, by the way, I'm really glad I'm their biggest partner in the UK. Um, so uh, from my perspective, every manufacturer can do that. They can't make those investments. And that's why some manufacturers will simply leave. Um, so, you know, we've seen in recent times, Infinity say they're leaving Europe. We've seen Mitsubishi more recently. So I think what will happen will be a contraction of the number of retailers in the UK. Uh, there are 39 in the UK right now. The top, uh, 12 or 13 account for about 80% of the market. So it's a very long tail. And it's that tail 
of the smaller manufacturers, I think, will come under pressure because how does a small 1% market share manufacturer, unless they're you know, particularly specialist like Porsche or something like that or Ferrari, it's quite difficult for them to have the scale to be able to make these investments. Hence, these partnerships, arrangements and uh, JVs, et cetera, and consolidation. So you will see a reduction in number of franchises or brands. When that happens, clearly you lose a whole network. So you've got Mitsubishi that I think had 100, 115 or 117 from memory uh, retailers. Um, you'll also see not only the consolidation and rationalization of OEMs, but you'll also see the rationalization of networks. So you've seen quite a number of manufacturers in recent years that have been in the public domain that have uh, rationalized their networks. So Honda uh, recently, uh, Vauxhall, Ford just pre-COVID. So you'll see a reduction there as well. So I think the direction of travel by 2025 was going to be, you're going to see the number of retailers because of that dynamic contract to probably three and a half thousand, three thousand six hundred. So a significant drop off. What you will then see is the smaller retailers and the smaller markets. Uh, that's where I think you'll see some pressure. Now, it depends on the market because in some some markets where the, the geography is quite uh, big, you will have uh, a requirement for retailers to cover a geographic concentration. Um, so it very much depends on the brand and the market. Uh, our strategy has always been you know, make sure you partner with the right brands and make sure you're in the right markets, and that's what we've stuck to. Um, so without knowing the market which John's business is in, you know, it's hard to answer, but I think Mazda's a great brand. It's got a great future. It'll be interesting. I think the news from the Honda trade agreement, or the, sorry, the uh, Japanese trade agreement clearly would be beneficial for them, I would imagine, and they've got a great product lineup. But I think one of the things going to be, you can have a great brand, but depending on the size of the market, you may well find that it gets rationalized anyway. Uh, but I think you've got that dynamic, and the other dynamic is how do you compete when you've got the consolidation that's taking place with the big groups? Because the technology that's really the industry. You're watching Auto Retail Live uh, in partnership with Mace Point. John, a question for you actually around um, margins on fleet and business sales. Uh, obviously, from a from a from a retail perspective, consumer retail sales are flying. Is it still is it still a good opportunity in fleet and business? Um, I'm I'm not sure to tell you the truth. You'll have to talk to Dash. You know, we are primarily a, a retail focused business. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, what I do know is, you know, there will be some fleets that will be, I guess, destocking and looking to restock. Um, but no, I. I, I'd have to pass on that one in terms of actually how the how the market is. The only just to the, just to the previous question, the only thing I would say is it's going to be more and more difficult. You know, you've got the big macro points that Dash was making, but in terms of uh, a smaller business, you just don't have the economies of scale. You can't spread costs over over more rooftops. You don't have the purchasing power. So I think um, you know whether it's macro, whether it's the micro. I think the, the, the travel is inevitable. It's more bigger businesses and less smaller businesses. But I'm sorry, I can't help you so much on the on the fleet market. No, no, useful insight. Well, let's stick with insight into the market. A question from uh, Theo Radley from Hills Motor Group. Um, perhaps, Ian, how are sales performing in and around city centres? And it might link into what John was just saying there uh, in terms of the way people are approaching cars and how they're using them. Well, there, there is a lot of data that uh, confirms that a, a growing appetite for consumers to seek safety, if you like, in their own private space, um, their house, of course, but also their car. 
Um, so 12% of users on Autotrader, for example, uh, at the moment are saying they're actively looking to buy a car um, in order to use that to replace their need for public transport. That public transport need is even greater as your um, question raises the point around the city areas and so on. Um, so I think there is a growing level of interest in, in car ownership in those areas. But equally, we're seeing strong growth in our bike platform. Uh, a lot of people would be very keen equally to take a bike, an e-bike, a scooter. Uh, those trials are starting right now. I think all, all forms of mobility will, uh, will be seeing additional interest right now to those that are sort of seeking alternatives to public transport. I think the, the challenge in the cities is trying to bring the electric vehicle uh, revolution into the cities because living in one myself, it's just that much harder to find the, the, the charging solutions unless you've got off-street parking. Whereas theoretically, uh, we can see in our data, demand instinctively in cities is that much higher, fulfilling that demand and actually going through to implementing it and putting your own, uh, your own charging point outside your house is, is equally that much, uh, that much harder. So um, no, no, no decline in, in, uh, in audience levels or interest levels in those areas, just slightly different demand, I'd suggest. Interesting. Uh, Tracy, picking up on um, the issue of keeping on top of your business and your insight, um, and as you say, we've, we've seen from, from Ian, there's different ways that people are, are wanting to use transport and maybe four to two wheels. Um, question, how easy is it to collect data um, if you're running a business with several different DMSs uh, and data sources to try and aggregate and, and run your business? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the key challenges with gaining insight across, like I described earlier, having that single view of performance. If you think about, in reality, there's lots and lots of different systems. There's probably text messages, spreadsheets, you know, spreadsheets are the sticky tape of most, in, in most businesses. Uh, so they're all sort of being emailed around. Lots and lots of different disparate pieces of information, but actually, where do you pull it all together? Um, and obviously, then if you add into that that challenge, you know, multiple DMSs, which tends to happen when, of course, you've got mergers and acquisitions. Um, we've worked with a group where that, you know, obviously that did happen. Then acquired and effectively had across the group three different uh, three different DMSs, lots and lots of different versions of budgets, management accounts, and forecasts. And and the point is trying to find a, a, a unified platform, an interconnected platform that enables you to pull all of these different systems together: DMS, CRM all your website information. So all the all the plates that you have to keep spinning to make sure that you're, you know, you're optimizing performance. So all of those cogs are working in unison. Um, pulling those all into an interconnected platform to give you then that one single view. So, you know, managers at the front line can then see whether they're keeping customers happy, they're hitting targets, they're feeding the pipeline. So is the BDC doing their job? We're making huge investments in, in initiatives like BDCs. Are we seeing the return on those things? Are we training our people? Or again, are we seeing the return on that? Um, you know, managing working capital. I mean, I'm sure Dash manages his business where he sees, you know, he has a core piece of information, piece of information every morning, you know, throughout the day as well, where he can see how his business is performing. And I think no matter how big or small you are, that's absolutely critical, not just for people on the board, but also people, you know, right down to the back, back counter on the parts department. They actually can see how they're performing, how they're tracking their performance, and, and how they're doing in comparison to the common goal. You know, what's their part of the game and, and are they performing it? That's that's the key, really. So DMS is, you know, having DMSs across, you, across your organisation is not an insurmountable challenge and actually avoids a huge amount of investment because we all know that implementing DMSs, it, you know, causes a huge amount of investment and that can be avoided if you've got the right solution. 
and keeping an eye on 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 targets and of course uh, targets an important part of the back quarter of the year john um oem pressure a frequent uh, discussion within the world of retail and rightly so yeah. um how do you deal with that as you're coming into year end because of course right now you're performing well but what would your advice be to to others in in your position um, facing the push to move product forward i mean i think it's um it's better to have that one difficult conversation whenever you're you're talking to a manufacturer around about targets um but base it around fact um base it around what pushing you know what levers the manufacturer wants to talk around um you know and make sure you can actually have an educated discussion with with your manufacturer um because you know having a target that's too high um for you know the right or the wrong reasons leads to the wrong behavior you know, it leads to pre-regging, it leads to excessive discounting around about our model. So it's, you know, it's critical, it's crucial for every retailer to work as hard as possible to work with their brand to get that number to what may be stretching, but it's got to be achievable because, you know, the the quick, the easy, the, the, the lazy way is extra discount and more pre-reg. And we don't want to go back there. You, there's, there's some things, there's some benefits um, of COVID that we've enjoyed. Um, you know, our demos will always write, the used cars, actually, the level of demand is allowing us to turn them, you know, and make good money from them, enjoy the money from the trade. So, you know, I would I would hate, I would, I would worry about the fact that we go back to just over-targeting um, dealers um, to drive a number uh, for a factory somewhere rather than what's appropriate to the individual markets those dealers operate at. Thanks, John. We're at the point where we will ask our panellists for some tips and advice as we uh, come towards the end of uh, our webinar this afternoon. Um, Ian, I'd like to come to you first. As, as we head in middle of September towards the, the back quarter of the year, uh, in the back quarter of the year, what, what's your advice to the retailer this afternoon? Um, firstly, if I may, just to pick up quickly on John's point a minute ago, I think there's a lot of need for dialogue right now, and it feels like there's always been a battle, hasn't there? I've been both sides of this fence and retailer and, and brand. And it really feels like it's the ideal moment to make sure the dialogue's good and that the targets are set the right way because it's not good for the retailer, clearly, for all the reasons John just described. You get overheating and then the wrong behaviors. But brands need to really recognize that it's not good for them. If you get overheated brand you know, targets, then you get the wrong behaviors. At the moment, what's good, going back to the fleet question we had earlier, is that some of the push channels are not being pushed so much. Priority is being given to retail, which is good. And there hasn't been so much end of month overheating in the last few months as we've seen typically. So. Hopefully that will continue again in September. So focusing on the brands trying to create natural demand uh, and creating a pull into the retailer rather than forcing a retailer by wholesaling cars to push cars out is so much of a better model. But to come back to your, your question now, I think we touched earlier on you know, the digital showroom, the need to merchandise, touched on the sort of need to challenge yourself to do things in a smarter way, in a, in a more digital way probably, and a, and a more consumer-centric way, which very often can be better for the retailer or can save time. I think that's really key. But the fundamental thing I'd like people to, to really um, pick up on is the point around, around data that Tracy's already made, but in a slightly different way. Data for decision-making is crucial. Right now, we've got we've talked about sustainability of demand data earlier. But fundamentally, what's critical for the health of the market is the valuations that we that sort of underpin the new car sort of RVs that uh, we work towards and that sell 90% of our cars on PCBs and so on, as well as the used car market, which we know is much larger. Now, at the moment, valuations data is pointing to a market in rude health. 
We talked about demand a lot. Supply has been constrained. That is one of the retailer's biggest challenges of finding reliable sources of supply, challenging yourself to go further down into the age brackets that you might have been reluctant to do in the past. That's going to help maybe unlock new pockets of supply. But if you're focusing on the data, you look at the prices of cars right now. Last month, we were seeing growth. It's been five, uh, five months of consecutive growth now. But we saw like-for-like -like prices at more than 6% increasing on the prior year. This month, we already started up to into the sevens of 7% increases year on year. That means that it's going to be challenging to find cars that fit where you typically expect to pay for them. But you have to realize that if those cars are worth that much money now, according to the pricing in the using hard data and editorial opinion, that's what the market prices for them. But you can actually, with confidence, go and buy them, so long as you're focused on speed of turn and the ROI metrics that are so important, and actually get out of that car, get another one, and keep turning your business forward. But using data to power that is fundamental. Tracy, your tip for the year end? Yeah, I think it just hinges off the back of what Ian's just said, you know, harnessing the power of the data you've got available to you is absolutely critical. I mean, I would highly recommend everybody, no matter how big or small you are, to take a real step back and have a look at how easy you're making data accessible for your managers, how easy it is for them to understand, how easy it is for them to see the opportunities. I mean, having everybody with that, with that tracking of performance and understanding where their gaps are and how they're tracking towards those targets are you all working to the same goal? But also then being able to see a bit like um, Ian's just said about, you know, ROI is absolutely critical. ROI, we have to see data as an absolute asset within our businesses. And I think that's sometimes overlooked, but we are investing a huge amount of money in collecting that information and that data. So then let's make the most out of it, what it's telling us about our business and making sure we're all on the same, you know, we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. We've all got the same picture and we're working towards that common objective and then being able to spot when things start slightly going off, off kilter and spotting that at the earliest opportunity, making sure that data is so easy to pull together. It's not hours and hours and multiple people crunching numbers. It's just happening automatically and it's at your fingertips throughout the organisation. Dash, what, what would your um, parting words be, your tip for the, for the industry? Uh, two words, brilliant basics. Just do the basics brilliantly well, and I think uh, you know you'll see a massive transformation in your business. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Every day, uh, people come into our businesses, and we're not maximising the opportunities. I think one of the questions earlier was around, you know, what's different between pre-COVID and post-COVID? Are were we less efficient? I think was the sort of question. Um, I, th I think for me, one of the things that's been fascinating with the sort of reactivation of our businesses is it allowed us to try things uh, as we were trying to balance our cost base with unfurling people back that we perhaps never would have dared consider. So, you know, just the efficiency of using, um, uh, you know, things like Zoom, team working, et cetera, has driven significant efficiency in our organizations. Um, you know, test drives, Ian was talking about, you know, how much time is saved in our business because we're not having to do test drives, you know, and actually it's probably better for the customer as well. Uh, touch wood, we've never had a car stolen yet. They've all come back in one piece as well, which is amazing. Uh, but I think, you know, we probably had the same risk when they were going out with the salesperson anyway. But uh, um, so those efficiencies are driving some of what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing manufacturers have been far more relaxing on their standards, uh, not necessarily in terms of their expectations, but in terms of their standards. Uh, and that's really helped us get back to focusing on what's important. That's looking after customers, part, selling cars, parts and hours. Uh, and, that, and that's the important thing, I think. So. Uh, I agree with the comments that Tracy and Ian have made around data and using data analytics. We use, uh, we, we are fortunate as a big group, we're able to, we have our own system so we can see every single car 
uh, we use some of the data that um, AutoTrader provides us, and that's particularly useful for us because we can see what's happening on pricing. Uh, and when we saw that data come out uh, a week or so ago around the market, uh, was up 6%. Within 24 hours, we basically were able to look at all of our stock and reprice. Um, because if you're not moving as fast as the market is, you'll be missing opportunities because you might be thinking, I'm selling loads of cars, but you could be underselling them. So that's the power of the data and having that available is critically important. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, my, my two big words is brilliant basics. Thank you, Dash. And final word to John O'Hanlon at Waylands. Um, I think, you know, for, for our business, and it seems, you know, taking listening to, to the other guys, it feels like the surf is up. There seems to be a level of demand out there. So it's just making sure that we absolutely exploit every opportunity. And whether that's, uh, you know, cherishing every inquiry coming into the business, making sure they're looked after, right through to making sure that your used stock is is, is, is in great condition. It's practice on the front. Um, you know, the, the trade cars are actually, the pictures are done and either sent to auction or put on the, on the digital auction. It's actually making sure we maximize the, the, the trading we've got today. We don't know what's ahead. Um, uh, to pick up on, on Dashi's point, no one really knows what's ahead. So we can control what we can control. So that's look after, you know, make sure we, um, we bring home what we've got today. Um, and if that's September, that's October, that's November, that's great. But let's make sure we maximize what we've got today. Thank you, John. And thank you to all of our guests, to Dash Gupta, the CEO of Marshalls, John O'Hanlon, founder of Waylands, Tracy Allen, commercial director of Mace Point, and to Ian Plummer, commercial director of Auto Trader. On behalf of the team at Auto Retail Live, Tristan, uh, on the questions today, thank you for making time to join us for this webinar. Uh, and you are more than welcome to share the link with colleagues in your business uh, who I'm sure may find the comments uh, and discussion today of interest. September, make or break, looks like it's going to be make. Have fun in the showroom. Mm -hmm.